Winning in the Workplace, the show focused on taking your business to the next level. Featuring expert business consultant and trainer Maurice Velasquez of Team Real World, along with 2013 Louisiana Broadcaster of the Year, Gordy Rush, this is Winning in the Workplace. We're going to be focusing on what seems to be a critical uh, element in all types of company, and it boils down to this, is why is it so difficult for managers to be good managers, uh, I'm regularly asked uh, because I'm, I'm I'm regularly coaching and, and training companies. Uh, I, I'm re- regularly asked to work with managers. That's our forte. That's what we specialize in, uh, and it is very difficult for you executives that are listening. Uh, I know that you know how difficult it is because you've done this before, and you need and want others to succeed at it. Uh, and those of you that are managers or staff members wondering why it is so difficult for your middle managers to be really good at managing, we hope this show is of benefit to you. So we're going to cover, we're going to dissect uh, the, the biggest elements of what are the, big, uh, the obstacles that get in the way of managers being good leaders. Uh, we're going to dissect a little bit on the psychology of it. Also look at some numbers that just really work against managers being able to communicate well, organize things well, and get the whole their, their teams engaged. So let's dive right into it. Um, the Just recently, I was with a group uh, of, of supervisors, of managers. Uh, so most of them were first-time managers. There were a couple that had been seasoned managers. And as we, as we uh, dissected uh, the things we're going to talk about today, what became evident in, their, in the conversation is that a lot of them had not... Uh, been aware of the things that we're going to discuss, the the, the the things that they that their new job as managers entailed, they didn't realize that w- that's what was expected of them and how difficult it was going to be. Um, the scenario that normally happens in businesses is is a rather common one. It's this: it's that if companies have a good employee, uh, a good performer, a top performer. And because they're doing so well, as the company grows, there is a need to then have a manager in that position or in that department because things are growing. So the best thing to do is let's go ahead and promote a manager. Let's promote that, that staff member who's doing really well, but they don't spend enough time uh, training them. They don't spend enough time coaching them uh, on the specific skills of what it is to be a manager because oftentimes executives and leaders make the mistake that just because you're a good staff member, that means that you're going to be a good manager. And that is not the case. Being a good manager, being a good supervisor, being a good leader has in and of itself a different skill set than what makes a good staff member, what makes a good top performer. So um, you have to keep that in mind that the, the managers, if they don't have some basic training and some basic uh, uh, expectations on, on, on the skills of what it takes to be a leader and what it takes to manage others, then they're going to come in it as, a, as in their new role as a good staff member, but they don't know how to manage people, all right? And, uh, and that's very difficult. So the first thing that w- we work with managers to help them understand um, what it means and what they have to face to be a good leader is a... Uh, a phenomenon in the workplace that is happening all around uh, that makes it very difficult, and it is this, that employees, that managers are constantly facing a workforce that is by and large very disengaged. 
And by disengage, we mean that employees everywhere at all three different levels of the organization, at the front lines or in the middle of the company, and even at the executive level, employees are by and large very disengaged. They're busy doing a lot of things, but they're disengaged with pushing from pushing the projects that can move the business ahead. There's a lot of work being done, but not a lot of work that really goes anywhere. Uh, which makes employees get very frustrated and not give their full attention and their full energy to the job at hand. They end up just simply doing the same old, same old because they realize things are, go- are not going to improve. They have probably spoken up about it in the past. They realize that problems are not going to be solved, and then they just get kind of just l- l- lethargic about the job, and then they just simply just go to work. It's an, it becomes a 9-to-5 job. And they are satisfied with doing just enough, uh, as George Carlin says, just enough not to get fired. Uh, so that level of disengagement, everyone can tell uh, the, uh, that everybody's disengaged. So let's look at the numbers and uh, what I shared with this, this group just recently. Uh, they need to see, everybody needs to understand the numbers of how, how bad this is, Okay. If you go to Gallup.com, which is the organization that uh, keeps track of this uh, at a net national, international level, their numbers are staggering in that uh, employee disengagement across all industries is at, an, at, a, at a shocking 39% as of last week when I looked at it. 39%. In the last 15, 20 years, as, I've, as, as Team Real World has been in, in operations, uh, and I've been coaching and training companies. I, I've been monitoring it, and it's never gone over 45%. In other words, any at any given time, in any given industry, and in different positions, employees are no more than 45% of their time engaged, or, or they're not engaged 45% of their time, their energy. And that's shocking. That pretty much means that, uh, by and large, uh, anywhere from two to four months of the year, any given employee is not giving uh, their full attention to, to the job. And that's why uh, managers regularly say things like, it is so difficult to find good, good employees. It is so difficult to keep employees because everyone is disengaged. Um, and it's not just staff members. Um, a report that came out in the Batner's Business uh, Report uh, a couple years ago lays out that even executives are only engaged at 36% of the time. Physicians, doctors, it's shocking, 35%. Nurses, 33%. Uh, Service workers, 22%. uh, Repair workers, 20%. Sales, 20%. Uh, Business owners, if you want to know why your sales are not high, is because your team is probably only engaged 20% of their time. They show up for work, but they're really not giving you any more than 20 to 30% of their energy. So I hope that all of you listening and all you, all you uh, watching us on, on Facebook uh, or online in our, in our, in our video portals, um, you're appreciating the fact that uh, if you hire a manager, uh, their biggest task is going to be how to engage their employees, how to somehow get into their heads, get into their psychology, into, into, their, into their, their head, and re-engage everybody. Uh, it's very difficult. A lot of people feel that, well, it's got to be about the money, but it's not about the money. The, the paycheck is important, but even more engaging rewards include things like human connection, peer recognition, self-expression, the ability to solve problems, participating in collaborative decision-making, 
uh, personal growth, a sense of community, and things that make the workplace exciting for them. Uh, the companies have a lot to contribute to this because it's critical that workers, uh, un- undeniably, that the employees have to meet the, the, the goals of the company, and, and they have to meet the demands and the requirements of their job for the company. However, there are things that companies have to do in order to improve things that only the company can do. As organizations can only thrive when when they provide uh, solutions for their employees. I, I guess not so much solutions. They provide an atmosphere where solutions can be brought to the table and the executives are going to make decisions based on the feedback from the frontliners. Uh, so you hear a lot about companies and employees who uh, employers who they want their employees to be more innovative, to be more collaborative. But when they do come together and they say, look, we've identified certain problems and certain issues, then it takes a long time for executives to respond and reply and give decisions and invest in what it what the solutions are. And again, after a while, those problems go unresolved and it and it creates that disengagement. Okay. Uh, a good way that Paul Hawken, one of my favorite authors in this, said it is this way, is that good management is the art of making problems so interesting and their solutions so constructive that everyone wants to get to work and deal with them. Okay, now that's uh, a lot of times when I quote that, uh, people roll their eyes and go, yeah, don't you wish? But yeah, we all wish that, Okay. So it's the job of the middle managers to engage their employees. Now, how do you do that? We're going to cover that in the next segments uh, because we're going to give you good specific uh, how-tos and action items, things to do and not to do on how to engage your staff. But by and large, bottom line, uh, if you get get any any takeaways from this segment, whether you're an executive or whether you're a middle manager or whether you're a staff member, okay, uh, what it boils down to is this, engaging everybody boils down to fixing problems. If we're not fixing problems, then staff members grow frustrated. If they grow frustrated, then they're not going to contribute. If managers can tell that their employees are frustrated and then they go and ask them, why are you frustrated? And they don't feel, the employees don't feel that they can tell the supervisors and their managers what the issues are because they feel they're probably going to go anywhere. There's going to be uh, retaliatory responses. There's going to be flipping things like, well, you guys just need to be happy with your job or anything that does not move the problems to solution. All that is just going to feed disengagement. And if executives don't support the fixing of problems by supervisors, when they bring it up again, all that feeds into disengagement. So that's the biggest obstacle that managers face a disengaged uh, uh, workforce. You have to be able to engage them. How? By fixing problems now by engagement let's talk a little bit about that um, uh, oftentimes uh, if that's not clearly defined uh, ma- uh, companies tend to think that what that only means is the um, the fun and the excitement I- at the workplace so if you know anything about me and you've worked anything with me or you watch some of our videos or anything of our uh, heard on our show you know that I thoroughly enjoy having a lot of fun everywhere I go and everything I do. So I'm, I'm, I'm all about the, the parties, the fun, the excitement, uh, the Christmas events, the, the weekly get-together, the food, and all that has to be part of the culture of a company, including bowling teams. Let's set up some things that we can do outside of work. All studies show that in order for you to engage your employees, supervisors and managers have to have some kind of 
care and engagement with each other outside of work. That doesn't mean they have to be best friends, but they do stuff where they, at least they care about each other's life outside of work, or they, and they also open themselves up to do things together. All right, uh, but but unfortunately, um, I, I, no, let me say it this way. Thankfully, companies have, over the last 10 years, paid a whole lot more attention to this than they did perhaps in the early 90s and, and, and mid-90s. But, um, but unfortunately, what's happened is that a lot of emphasis being made on this, on, on having a lot of fun at work, which you should, but not enough is still being done on fixing problems at work. So the, 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 the phenomenon that occurs is everybody has a wonderful time at the Christmas party, and yet they all dread getting back to the office because they know the problems still exist. So it's interesting to, to, to watch. You, you've been part of it. I've been part of it, of, of the out of the office, you know, drinking beer together and having fun together and, you know, complaining about everything at work. And, you know, that's all part of life. But then really nobody says, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? And then without somebody shortly after say, well, what can be done about it? You know, it is what it is. And so pretty much just everybody throws their hands up in the air. Um, so engagement has to be both the relationships and caring for each other outside of work and showing the human side of it, as well as having fun inside of the office, but never forgetting the, the, the bulk of what really helps to get everybody engaged. And that's fixing problems as a team and moving things forward as a team so that everybody can participate, bring their talents to it, bring their skills and operate as a team to implement things together. So what? It, uh, so let's push this further. Let's let's go to the next question: Is who's responsible for doing this, or how um, uh, how can we make sure this happens? Is that uh, something I told a recent team of supervisors and managers in a workshop we did, which caught them totally by surprise? It was this: is that it is their responsibility, and I even use the word "it is their fault." Okay, that of why we lose so many employees and why people are not as engaged now. That opened up a huge conversation about how little control they feel they have in the impact of their job and the impact of their workforce. Um, and I relate to them uh, this story. I was a director of sales for, for a large insurance company, and we knew that one of our top performers um, had just notified us that she was going to quit, and we didn't want her to quit. So, of course, we contacted the branch manager and the district manager as to what had happened. And in my conversations with the regional manager, the comments were something along these lines. She's, she's leaving the company because she's frustrated with the company about certain things. And she listed them out, A, B, C, okay? But she constantly kept saying she's very upset with the executive team. She's, she's very upset with home office. She's very upset with the, um, uh, the, um, uh, the underwriting department. She's very upset with the claims department. So it was... It was a clear uh, uh, blame, and I'm not saying that blame in a negative sense. It was, she was leaving the company because she felt that uh, these parties and these these other folks were not helping her. Okay, so in my conversation with the with the regional manager, I said, "Okay, let's say her name was Claire. All right, Claire, let me ask you this. Okay, the issues that you just brought up, where's her branch manager been on these issues? Has she communicated these issues to you?" All right, and as I started asking those questions, Claire got more and more uneasy about it because I was trying her, I was trying to get her to focus on the fact that 
the immediate supervisor is the one that is mostly responsible to make sure that these issues are brought up to toward to to the chains of command up uh, up the chain as well as to keep the client very I'm not the client the the employee very updated on what what can happen so now Claire would say things to me like uh yeah but what can we do about underwriting okay and my answer was, well, let me ask you this. The issues that you know or that the branch manager knew were probably going to cause this top performer to leave, were you guys advocating them and were you guys bringing them up on a regular basis in a unified way to underwriting so that they could be fixed or was it more on a, um, on, on a, on a gossip basis or frustrating basis or, you know, and, and a lot of Claire's, feedback she admitted that yes uh, a lot of those issues were just communicated in a very frustrating manner very unprofessionally I said well for how long has this happened and she said no I mean easily for the past 6 8 12 13 months it's been going on like that and she grew frustrated that nothing was being fixed and she just doesn't want to work for the company anymore well we weren't able to save her um, uh, but but we did take a stock with all of our regional managers and started asking ourselves the question that if we're losing employees, we need to take stock of the fact that we are probably, as supervisors and managers and middle managers, not doing what we need to do to make things possible for the employees to perform. So uh, Marcus Buckingham in his book, um, First, uh, First 90 Days, uh, sorry, First Break All the Rules, he says, if you're losing good people, look to their immediate supervisor. More than any other single reason, it is the reason people stay in their jobs and why they thrive in organization. And the supervisor is the single most important reason why they quit. They take their knowledge somewhere else. They take their contacts and their experience with them. And often it's straight to the competition that they go to. So um, if you're hearing uh, this executives, business owners, managers, yourselves, just realize that you're the ones that are the closest to the employee. So therefore, it's your responsibility to gather and identify the top issues that are getting in the way of employees being successful. And it's your responsibility to go to the next level above you, whether it's to a manager or director of, of operations, it's to, go, to understand your chain of command and have an ongoing regular conversation with the people above you and not easily let those things slip away. If your manager above you uh, says, okay, I hear what you're saying. I hear, I hear what you're telling me that the Springfield office is saying that underwriting is not responding fast enough or engineering is not responding. Okay, uh, let me get back with you. Well, a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, you haven't heard anything. It's the responsibility of the immediate supervisor to carry that conversation again and say, hey, I need an update. I need to know what's going on with this and even get to the point. I get, you know, let me backtrack. Not, not even get to the point. After your first conversation with your supervisor, you should be writing an email to him or her says, hey, based on what we discussed, Here's the three things that we discussed at our meeting regarding the problems that I brought you up. And you said you were going to get with, uh, with underwriting. You said you were going to get with claims. You said you were going to look into that. And next week when we meet, I'm going to ask you about that. Okay. So if you leave uh, frontliners, frontline supervisors, if you leave the communication of problems to a meeting that happens every once in a while, 
and it's a disorganized meeting, then that's where all these issues are going to fall through the cracks because your employees, they keep up with the fact that they told you and they're hoping that you're bringing it up to your managers. But if your relationship with the people above you, the next line of protocol above you is, is disorganized and you don't have a regular sit-down session with the people above you, the person above you, to communicate the problems and follow up with each other and hold each other accountable, then that's where everything's going to break down. And yes, ultimately, what happens is you as the supervisor, you're going to be held accountable by your, your employee because your employee is frustrated, so they're going to ask you about it. And unfortunately, what supervisors a lot of times do is they start saying, well, you know what? I haven't heard from my manager. I haven't heard from the director. I haven't heard from underwriting. So then you start complaining along with your employee about why the headquarters or home office or that other department is not getting back to you. And then you just start whining with them and the employee realizes, okay, this is going to go nowhere. So you lose hope, you lose confidence because you're not pushing up to your executives or to your directors. Therefore, you start whining or complaining with them about your leadership and your, the people above you. And then both of you start feeding into each other a disengagement that eventually makes employees want to leave. So don't do that, all right? Uh, some of you listening may, may, uh, may be thinking, you know, is this really a problem at my office, the issue of disengagement and are my supervisors having a lot of problem? If you are kind of thinking about it, doubting whether that's the case or not, let me ask you, uh, to think about the following 11 questions. There's 11 things that we look at. Whenever we help with clients, we go into a company and we help them assess, we look for these 11 things, all right? So this is some of the th questions you should, you should ask yourself, ask your supervisors, uh, listen to this uh, uh, podcast or recording with your team and, and assess yourself and try to be a little bit hard on yourselves and get realistic about whether you are facing this issue. All right, so first of all, the first thing we look at and we ask is this, uh, do, do problems go unresolved in your company? Now, don't tell yourself that they are resolved. What you want to do is you want to ask your employees. Uh, the, probably the single best way to do that is to have an employee survey. Now, I can just imagine there's a lot of you out there rolling your eyes like, oh, we do that every six months and nothing happens. Well, it's good that you're doing the survey, but if you're telling yourself that or you rolled your eyes because that doesn't accomplish anything, then the answer to the question is yes, your problems do go unresolved. Because if you're putting out a survey and your people are responding and your managers are getting together to fix these problems in their silos and across departments on a regular basis, then you wouldn't have the attitude of saying, oh man, I kind of want to do another survey. Really, you should be having the attitude of saying, no man, we do that all the time. We put out a survey, our people respond back to us. We go over these things, we assign, we assign responsibilities, we build teams to fix these problems, and we take care of them, and we report back to our teams, and then we ask them again in six months, all right, guys, what's the new batch of problems that we need to address? So if you can't have that attitude about it, it's probably because your problems are unresolved, and the surveys that you're asking your people to participate in are going unchecked. No one's doing anything about this, so by the time you ask them to do another survey six months, you know that everyone's frustrated because the last one didn't do anything. It was not worth it. And what? You have the audacity to ask me about it again? That's where a lot of the frustration kicks in. All right. So the second thing we look at is this. Because that happens, do your employees feel that they are heard? It's oftentimes the same question, but now it's more like, 
do you really listen to your employees feedback? Okay. And so uh, you could, you could find that out from your survey as well. And if it's anonymous, if it's an anonymous survey, you will probably get better and more honest answers than otherwise. Do not think that it is a negative thing if you have feedback from your employees through a survey in an anonymous fashion. Uh, don't think that, oh, well, you know, people ought to just be able to speak up, put their name, and, you know, be able to tell us who they are. How are we going to be able to fix problems if we don't know who the person is? And that is a wrong attitude. If you have 13 field reps from, from 16 offices telling you that a particular department at the home office is not responding back to the issues and they give you examples without naming their particular office or their particular problems, but yet you see a pattern of things, then you don't have to know whether it was Lori, Mary, Tony, or Tabitha of whether they sent that information. And you just need to realize there's a pattern here. And they're telling us that the IT department is not responding. So it is what it is. You got to let the shoe fit where it fits and take care of the problem. Okay. Later, as you build trust with them, by the time you ask the survey 13, 14 times, then yeah, you may, you may need to ask for, uh, for them to tell you their name. But up until you get that level of trust, the best way that you're going to hear from people is by doing it anonymous. Also keep in mind, most people are introverts and they're cautious with relationships they value that very much, and they fear retaliation, so they put their name. They're going to be afraid that they're going to be retaliated. All right, number three, um, are employees disengaged? We've already covered about this, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot, but that is the third question you want to ask yourself. Are employees disengaged? Number four, what are, are you having good meetings or bad meetings? Is anybody keeping track of this? Um, we had a director of operations that came to our, our office. He was actually a COO, and the first thing he did in the first 30 days is he asked everybody to report to him the uh, the meetings that they had and uh, to put it on a schedule so that he knew what meetings were being had across the company. Uh, it was a shocking, uh, uh, after 45 days, he get, it was a shocking result that after 45 days, he showed us all the meetings that were happening and he went and looked at the notes and the agreements that were made from those meetings. And then he asked us, all right, Maurice, let me ask you about the meetings that you're having on Tuesdays or 10 o'clock. The last 30, 45 days, these are the things that you guys have been saying. Where are we with those projects? And of course, you can just imagine, I mean, the silence in the room, the crickets, we all realize we're all having meetings. There are bad meetings. They're not going anywhere. He killed over 70% of the meetings. And then he showed us how to have good meetings. He basically had us all set specific meetings on a regular basis, sometimes weekly, sometimes biweekly. But the point is he made sure those meetings were effective and that things were moving from week to week on a regular basis. All right, number five, whenever you're implementing and making decisions together, all right, are things being done at the same time? So, for example, if the marketing team decides that we're going to have this campaign in the southeast Louisiana area with all the different teams in those different offices, do the branch managers in those offices know about it? Are the engineer team on the same page? Is anybody quarterbacking this? these projects? Is there a list of projects? Is there a list anywhere where it tells us where the top projects are, who the quarterbacks are, when are things going to be implemented? And when implementation happens, are we able to celebrate the fact that we are actually getting good at implementing this as a team in an organized way? 
right? Are we on the same page or are we scattered all over the place? That's a good question to ask. Number six, are people talking around each other? For example, all right, executives, I hate to say this, y'all are the worst of it, okay? We're the worst of it. We assign a task to a particular quarterback. We assign a particular task or a specific project to a manager or supervisor, and no sooner is the day not even over, three hours later, we're now saying a different thing to somebody else, and we leave, let them think that they're actually the quarterbacks also. And so then we, three days later, start giving assignments to different people because we're not keeping up with who the quarterbacks or who things were assigned to. We make it very difficult for each other. And then, of course, managers see that behavior, and they start also going around each other, when um, it looks sort of like this, I know that Harry over here is, is the quarterback of that project, but yet I'm being asked about it. So instead of, instead of telling the person who's asking me about it to get with Harry or let's go talk to Harry because he's a quarterback, I just give you my opinion and I kind of talk around Harry and I don't update you precisely according to the documents that have been put on SharePoint or in Google Docs that govern the project. And I kind of just say my own thing. So I really am not staying on the same page and I'm talking around others. That has to stop. The behavior and discipline of having shared documents on a shared drive with clear quarterbacks, clear team projects of who's handling it and clear game plans as to who's supposed to be doing what by when has to be adhered by all the stakeholders and all the team members in those projects and everybody else watching. So we need to stop going around each other and stop not being on the same page and, and not, not backing each other up. All right, number seven, emails. Look at the number of emails that you have, all right? So it's, it's interesting to note, you go to a meeting, and it's supposed to be a 30, 45-minute meeting. The meeting lasts 15, 20 minutes or 30 minutes. You know, and you got about 10, 15 minutes left, and everybody's kind of just looking at their watch, ready to get out of there. Uh, you don't want to be in the room because you really don't have a whole lot to talk about, and there's really nothing else to talk about, right? Yet you watch everybody gets on computers and everybody starts emailing and pushing each other on conflict and issues that need to be resolved. But yet everybody just came out of a meeting where probably the vast majority of those issues could have been resolved if we had talked about it at the meeting. So here's something you can look at in your department, in your company as an executive or leader, or supervisor. If the if the if problems are being attempted to uh, uh, through email then you're probably having very bad meetings. And if you're having bad meetings, don't think that you're saving time by getting out of the meeting and going to email. What you should do is have good meetings and reduce the number of emails, all right? So take a look at your emails and how much is being handled through emails. It shouldn't be that way. Number eight, managers reacting negatively. Whenever uh, criticism or feedback is given and, it, and it, the shoe fits on a supervisor and a manager, do they retaliate? Or do they start picking favorites because they didn't like the fact that such and such brought that up? If they become negative in any way, heads up, that's toxic. you got to talk to your manager, bring them through some uh, coaching, whatever. But your manager should be the most open to receiving feedback. Um, it, this deals then with number nine. Do you have a culture of blame? Okay, uh, You want to make sure that you don't, you don't have blame happening throughout your organization. And finally, okay, are your people that are leaving the company, are they leaving for money reasons? If company, if employees are saying, look, I have to leave because it's $3 difference or $20, they have a little more benefit, you realize, you have to realize you have a huge culture problem. People in America in the last 20, 30 years don't usually leave just because of money. There's something else, but it's the easiest thing to say, I'm leaving because it's a dollar difference because I don't want you having to ask me why I don't like working for Larry because he's a bad supervisor. My problems are not being resolved and no one here is paying attention to me. 
it's a whole lot easier to say, look, they offer me a little more dot gas for my uh, for my car, and so I'm I'm heading out. It's hard it's hard to battle against that. Let me take a pause here and 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 ask. Um, uh, let me let you know that all the, the what you're listening to uh, on the radio, uh, you can hear it on our po- uh, on our podcast. You can subscribe. You can search us on Winning in the Workplace. You can also find us on our website at www.teamrealworld.com. And you can also subscribe to our online training portal there on the website. Click on online training, or you can also type in winningintheworkplace.com. It'll bring you to the same place. So all this information, all the files that are related to what you're hearing, uh, the PDFs associated with it, they're all updated up there. Log in. Uh, a lot of this that we have is complimentary, free for you to enjoy, for you to use, for you to uh, practice with your team. Some of it requires subscription. Some of it requires uh, uh, purchasing. Uh, and we also have workshops all throughout Baton Rouge. We can do workshops at your site. Uh, we can do private training for your team. We have a calendar of classes that you can find on our website on teamerworld.com and see how many uh, workshops of all types of topics we have coming up throughout the months, uh, throughout each month. And we have uh, courses open for you and the public and for uh or your teams all the way through August. So go to our website and interact with us. Let us know how we can help you. Uh, and, and again, the material that you're hearing today, you can go download it, enjoy it. If you have any problems, you can't find it, reach out to us. Uh, reach us at info at teamrealworld.com or you can email me directly at maurice at teamrealworld.com. All right, let's go ahead and uh, finish uh, this segment with some practical advice on how uh, managers can become better at this. Here's some action items on how to improve this. First of all, you have to commit yourself that you're gonna do two key things. You're gonna commit yourself to meeting the goals that are established by the company. The executives have said, we need your department to do ABC, reach certain goals. You have to be committed to those. You gotta be committed to communicating those to your staff and working the different game plans to accomplish those. Uh, Along with that, you have to be committed to fixing the problems that your staff are telling you that are in the way of getting those goals accomplished. So number one, commit yourself to meeting the goals and to fix problems that are getting in the way of meeting those goals. Second of all, all you have to commit yourself to meet with your staff on a weekly basis to connect with them, to set the expectations that are expected of them to, uh, to communicate the goals of the company to them and to listen to their problems. One of the, f- uh, the first things I look for in helping individual, co- uh, individual managers and supervisors, I always ask them, do you have a regular weekly or bi-weekly meeting with your staff? And I'm not talking about the ongoing conversation that happens through the normal day in, day out in the life of your work and your being with them together. I'm talking about a dedicated 30-minute, 45-minute, perhaps 60-minute meeting once a week or once every two weeks uh, where you sit down and you go over the specific issues and the problems and the things that you need to discuss to move things forward and hear from them what are their problems, what are their issues, what are their solutions, what do they recommend. And it's an organized meeting. It's a formal meeting, not an informal. I'm all in favor of informal meetings because they have to happen. That's what keeps things pertinent and lively on a day-to-day basis. But what I'm talking about is a uh, a regular formal meeting where you can sit down and give them the confidence that you have blocked out time to meet with them and talk with them. 
All right. So you got to commit yourself to doing that. Number three, you have to commit yourself to do, having that same type of regular ongoing type of meeting on a weekly or biweekly basis with your, with your supervisor, with your executive. So if I'm a supervisor of a particular department, I'm a manager of a particular department, I'm meeting with my staff on a weekly, biweekly basis in a formal way, right? Then the question is, is are you having a weekly and biweekly meeting with the supervisor, the, 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 the executive above you? And again, it's not a haphazard meeting. Those haphazard meetings are great. Continue having them on uh, conversations, text, emails, informal meetings, hallway conversations. Continue those. But do you have a set meeting where you and your executive are meeting on a regular basis to strategize, to talk about issues, to listen to the progress and report of things, to hear uh, what, the, what the obstacles are, to listen to the ideas and solutions that your staff's bringing up for you to be the one that advocates in those meetings to your executive about your teams, all right? If you don't have that, then things are going to fall through the cracks and you're not going to get yourself organized and you're not going to get yourself ahead. The teams around you will get disengaged because they've gotten disorganized. All right, number four, in those meetings, you have to keep this in mind that you what you're negotiating is this, that with your executive, you're, you're negotiating for them no, let's talk about the staff first. With, with your staff, you're negotiating um, that they're going to re-engage and recommit to, f- to meet the goals of the company. And the negotiated agreement with your executive is that if your staff starts meeting these goals and they start seeing and they start seeing the level of engagement that they want, then the executives have to commit to invest in fixing the problems that make things possible and then make things happen. So as a manager, when you go talk to your staff at those regular meetings, your message to them is, I need you to re-engage, I need you to focus, I need you to work together, meet the goals of the organization, tell me the problems, and I will go talk to the executives. Now, when you talk to the executives, you present the updated report on how things are going, and then you ask them, you show them the progress, and then you ask them to invest in solving the problems and not withholding budgets and, and decisions so that I can go back to my team and show them that I am advocating so- solutions and problems between the two levels. All right, so therefore, number five, bring reports on a regular basis to your executives on the progress of the goals and projects and show them on paper how your staff and your teams are progressing. Now, every word I said there, I really meant. On a regular basis, bring reports showing the progress on the goals and the top projects and show on paper how your staff and teams are progressing. If you're not bringing documents, if you're not bringing uh, paper that shows your team's progress, then you're leaving it up to folks to interpret on their own You're not going to be able to keep up with this and the urgency and pressure that your executives have will start, you'll start feeling that and you're not going to be able to keep everybody aligned. All right. Number six, in the same conversations with your executives, bring proposals, all right, business proposals to executives on on what is the investment that, that you need from them in order to make improvements to solve problems for your teams. Look, here, let me give you an example. I need... $850, okay, because I've got, I have to buy some monitor stands because 
I have clearly seen, I've seen, I've been in the works. I can show you if I need to, but I need $850 to get some monitor stands for the three technicians that are having a hard time accessing the data they need because of ABC, but I need $850, right? If you don't bring that in paper and show why it's going to make an impact, then again, you're not advocating properly, all right? So get used to bringing proposals. Number seven, this is more for executives. Executives, you have to be committed to support your supervisors and help them fix problems. See, you work against them. If you assign them, if you tell them that they're now the managers, they're the leaders, they're the supervisors, but then you don't give them the tools and you and you don't let them be Santa Claus to their teams. In other words, they bring you problems. You don't invest in their solutions. You don't let them go and celebrate the fact that they got that $850. And sure enough, they start getting discouraged. So executives, work through your managers, your supervisors, and help them become heroes to the problems. And, and, and finally, executives, do not go around your managers. Supervisors, managers, ask your executives not to go around your managers. Look, quick story. One of my bosses was traveling throughout Chicago, and uh, he visited all the offices, and he told all the managers different things he was going to do, and I heard about it. And I'm like, wait a minute, I thought you were going to tell me about it. Okay, instead of you going directly to him and said, Maurice, let me ask you this. Did you did you do did you fix the signs that we approved six months ago? No, I didn't. Well, I should have. Okay, well then from now on, when I give you prop when I give you the money to go fix problems, are you gonna implement it? That's the issue. All right. So look, managers don't give up. Do these things on a regular basis. Contact us here at Winning in the Workplace. Stay in touch with us. You have been listening to Winning in the Workplace. Life lessons from the office. Winning in the Workplace with the foremost authority on business consulting in Baton Rouge, Maurice Velasquez of Team Real World, and Gordy Rush on Talk 107.3 FM, WBRP.